Yeah, welcome to JavaScript Jam. Yeah! We're going to have some fun today, but I'm not going to get into that just yet. No fun yet. The fun will come. We're going to be boring. You got to wait about for two it. Two seconds. You got to have some fun, folks. We're here at Render ATL having a great time. Uh, we're out here looking up over the city uh, out of our hotel room, and we're having a really awesome setup here. I'm really excited about it. And we have someone really cool sitting at on the couch over here next to me. His name is What's his name? Ra 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 Ryan Magoon. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Magoon <laughs> in the house. More and more tortured. <laughs> Dude, I'm just trying to drag it out because I'm ready to get going. All right, let's do it. So, my name is Scott Stanley. I'm technical community manager at Edgeo, and you are developer advocate at Edgeo. All right, I'm going. Who are you? I'm a senior staff engineer at PayPal working on checkout. Yes, Ryan Magoon. Awesome, brother. Checkout. I hear that's the important part. Yeah. Well, it makes the most money. Makes the only money? Yeah. <laughs> there's no checkout. There's literally no money. Yeah. That's true. Can't happen if you can't swipe the card or type it in. How long have you been at PayPal for? Uh, six months. Six months? Cool. Yeah. Okay. What um, inspired you to work for PayPal? Well, I was uh, t- like a senior engineer, so I was a tech lead at Advanced Auto Parts, working on their e-commerce, um, starting in React Native, and then ending up rewriting their whole front end in Next.js. And then PayPal reached out to me and they're interested in some of that work I did, bring it over there. The interesting part was that it was a senior IC role. So I was actually engineering manager the last year at Advance. Yeah, I got the opportunity to like try my hand at like being staff plus engineer. I was like, oh, okay, let me go try this. Like kind of get getting all the infinity stones for like all the roles. Well, this is great because we talked to a lot of DevRel people, a lot of developer advocates, some people who were engineers and moved to DevRel, some people who only did DevRel. But um, I feel like it's not as often we just get to talk to people who are like in the guts of engineering or just like slinging code. So yeah, it'd be great to, to talk to you about some of that. So yeah, why don't you give a little bit of like your background and how you got into code? I think that's always interesting to learn a little bit about like what inspired you to even learn to code in the first place. Okay. From a really young age, my dad was like a huge computer nerd. So I'd always have like Linux around the house, not really coding so much, just using it for different stuff, like playing video games, doing other stuff. One of the punishments he would give me, is like we had a TRS-80 in the house. And like sometimes he would make me read a letter out of the encyclopedia, like the whole letter. But sometimes he would give me one of these books with like all these basic code in it and he would like make me write out a whole program and then if it didn't work he would make me rewrite it he's like it's a weird form of education slash child abuse yeah <laughs> so i actually didn't like programming that much because like i associated <laughs> that's hilarious. we all go back to our roots <laughs> yeah awesome. so when i started college i was doing mechanical aerospace engineering and like i had some anxiety problems back then like learning disability stuff so i was like in and out of school but in between that uh my mom was friends with this guy working at a startup uh, on the side and he reached out to me jamie dixon actually like really big in the dotnet community and he sat me down and he was like yeah you should go talk to him because like you really need to like get a job and so i talked to him and he like gave me code complete and he he's like go read this and then i showed up and he's like okay write a c-sharp class and i did it he's like okay you're hired and then uh, that's how that's how I got started, like at the internship over there. At, uh, it was called Lobby Guard, so that was a pretty interesting place. And then how did you find your way to this whole React front end world from C Sharp? 
Yeah, so like back then they were pushing me towards like CICD, which is actually really great. I was like part of the .NET user group. They were taking me to meetups and I was meeting all these people. Uh, Scott Hanselman, actually, like I ran into him a long time oh, ago. Gee. Yeah, in like 2012. He's when here, I, actually. I think I saw him. Yeah, I'll have to reach out to him. It was interesting because I, I just hated .NET. But uh, <laughs> like I, I kind of cut my teeth back then, like helping people move from TFS to Git. And that's when Azure was first being a thing. And so uh, I was doing that stuff and it was really valuable to people, but I just was not into it. And so I wasn't progressing that much because I wasn't really putting the time in to get good at it. I'd be passionate. Bro. Yeah. And then um, ES2015 came out and I was like on code school and I messed with it a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is actually so fun because like being on Windows and being a uh, like Visual Studio was just so overwhelming. The amount of work you have to do just to like get a hello world, I felt like it was so complicated. And uh, yeah, just being in the browser, your iteration cycle of like code to result is just so fast. Yeah, JavaScript is actually fun. It was addicting. People. Yeah, yeah. And then once like uh, the new versions of JavaScript came out, it was actually like super fun. But I actually, uh, most of the programming I was doing back then was on React Native when I started working with it. So I would have been pretty early then in React Native's life cycle. Yeah, 2016. That's when there were migrations happening. There were some migrations that got unmigrated. Like, like Airbnb was a famous example of that. And people were like, ooh, is React Native going to be a thing or not? And you know, obviously it's still a thing and probably bigger than ever. Do you still do any React Native? Not really. Yeah, so I had a side project called Find My Spot, which was a app that would let you rent out your driveway for the day if you have a beach house. Oh, dope. Smart. Do you guys remember that pool app that came out? Rent your pool out during like 2020? <laughs> yeah. When the, yeah, when COVID I never happened. Had a pool, so. All the pools shut down, and this, this company did something very Come use similar. my pool and give me COVID. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like an it insurance like nightmare. For your pool. <laughs> yeah, right? And they had insurance in the app, just like Airbnb or Uber or stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's very similar. And they have that for actually people's garages now. You can rent out someone's garage if they'll offer you one space. If you have like a boat or a car or something like that, you don't want to put it in storage. You use someone's garage uh, at their place. It's kind of cool. Similar thing. It's neat. Yeah. So, hey, it actually took off in many different places. <laughs> I stopped using it uh, right before it got good. Like, uh, Expo was horrible back then. It was just a toy. Like, it was cool, but it just, uh, you couldn't build a production app with it, really. You, you would have to eject. You would, uh, there was always some library you needed. And to, to dig on that for people who aren't into this world, what you're saying is that you could use it to write very basic things, but as soon as you want to do something actually on the phone that is like a phone-native thing, like use the, the gyroscope or something, you have these native APIs that are written in like Swift or something. Yeah, so um, part of it is using those native modules. The other part of it is actually like building and shipping the app to the app store. Mm. Expo was handling both of those things. Okay. So it, w but it was just really hard to be proficient without you. You pretty much had to know some Objective C and Java. Right, that's what it was before Swift. Objective C, yeah. Yeah, because most of the stuff you're using like React Native Maps that which Airbnb had open source, but like below that was Objective C. So like one of the things we had to do at Map My Customers, which is where uh, I ended up going, was like put heat maps in the map, and you just had to if they wouldn't accept your PR, you would have to modify it yourself and then inject it. And it's it's just like a whole mess. So what's the biggest difference between doing React Native and React proper? Well. I think debugging is harder in React Native because you don't have URLs. So if you have deeply nested workflows, like you can't just like jump to something. Nowadays you kind of can, but back then you definitely couldn't. It was way harder to debug. So like wrapping your head around how that works, you have like stack navigations and things like that, tab navigations. But thinking about like how you orient yourself around the app and do routing is probably the biggest difference. 
styling is very similar and the code is almost all the same logic wise. Yeah, I've always wanted to, because I've never written like a single line of React Native, but I've been doing React for years and years and years. So I've always been like, you know, I could learn React Native. I could probably ship like a very rudimentary app, but just like I've never really like taken that dive in. So it's, it's always a world that I'm like very curious to learn more about, even though I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, so that's why I brought it up, because I think the two big innovations were like Expo now is actually amazing and you don't have to eject from it. So all the pain That's what I've, heard. I've heard expos incredible from people who use it so it sounds like they really pulled it together yeah all the pain i was describing about having to pull in things uh or or like worry about upgrades or dealing with the app stores that's almost completely abstracted and it's it's really really amazing so like, as a solo dev it's actually pretty feasible to to ship quickly with that now that and typescript not sucking i think makes react native dev just way way better well, once we ship the Astro JavaScript Jam front page will ship a JavaScript Jam app <laughs> to the App Store. That would be fun. Yeah. Very cool. Um, one of the things that you are really big into and seem to know a decent amount about and have worked a lot on is accessibility. So I would love to pivot and talk a little bit about that. Um, why is accessibility a topic that you're passionate about? Um, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of a weird question because like ideally everyone should be passionate about it, but it's unfortunately not the case. Yeah, so disability is part of my identity because I grew up in a deaf family. So my parents were like 18 when I was born. So uh, a lot of my like really early life was being raised by my grandparents who were both deaf. So ASL is my first language. Growing up in the deaf community and having grandparents like that and actually like relying on people with like profound disabilities uh, really opens your eyes to a lot of like how the world works uh, for those people, how they yeah. get things done. So it's hard until you see it through through their experience. It's like, everything just works for us. So why doesn't everything work for everybody? And it's like, mm. well, a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so from that perspective, uh, it's always been around, I've always been around like deaf people and blind people. My partner is also visually impaired, like has a guide dog. And she's also, uh, yeah, she does a lot of stuff. She's a lawyer and she like writes books and stuff. And so I've been, I've also been around like really high achieving people with disabilities and, and kind of seen people using assistive tech in all, all kinds of different contexts. I wouldn't say like I'm super skilled at accessibility in terms of like working on it, but I would say from first principles. There's different ways to kind of think about it because there's be able to think of it from the user perspective. Like what is the specific disabilities that we need to account for and what are the technologies they're using? What is it actually like for them to use these technologies? Then what is it like having to code for those technologies? And I find that what you're saying, having the first principles thinking, that can be really the hardest because anyone can learn an API, you know, but not everyone can live in someone else's shoes. Definitely. That's actually kind of the big hypothesis behind the talk I did at React Miami. Awesome. Talk about that. Yeah. So it was titled Building for Disabled Power Users. Um, and basically the point of it was, uh, first off, like the overlap between disabled users and like what you would think of as a power user in terms of somebody who uses uh, lots of special features of the app to improve their efficiency, to make their workflow better. And also, like, if you break those workflows, it's very bad, and they'll probably leave. Uh, but they're also the most passionate users. Uh, if they get good at a tool, they'll probably stick with it. As long as that's the best way to do it, they'll probably be the ones writing reviews and advocating and well, bringing like people term. with them. I like that term you use, power user, because this is something I have a, a good friend, Ben Myers, who's one of the best accessibility experts I know. And what he'll say is that everyone who uses assistive technology and needs to use it becomes a power user by necessity. Like, they mm. have to learn the ins and outs of that tech because it's yeah. their window into the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you've ever seen a 
professional or really anybody proficient with a screen reader or like a braille display or anything like that uh it, it's like i don't know if you've ever hung out with like somebody like the primogen or somebody who's just like w- <laughs> yeah. wicked good like they're using tmux and all these all this stuff in vim and you're like oh my gosh how are they doing yeah, they this? do 10 things by the time it takes you yeah. to ask a question about the first thing they do 500 did. keyboard shortcuts yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think most people see disabled users through like this infantilized lens of like a person who can't do much. They're fumbling, so true, yeah. fumbling through life, probably doesn't have a real job, probably is not in a hurry. And that's like a big problem. It might I, be like far more sophisticated at this tech than you could even imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. A big part of being competent and accessibility at all isn't really looking at a WCAG checklist of like basic like can I tab through this website at all WCAG is very quickly yeah uh web content accessibility guidelines so that is like basically what the Americans with Disabilities Act says you have to do at a minimum for your website to be considered accessible for like legal reasons and it's a it's a spec it's like a W3C spec that is not particularly user-friendly to read no uh, it's very verbose, but there's different levels. There's like A, double A, and triple A. Double A is the the minimum you need to meet, and then contextually you'd want to hit triple A, uh, especially if it's like pertinent to the workflows in your app. But the big problem is like none of that ensures usability, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of it is oriented it's around a checklist. But a checklist doesn't get back to the lived experience of the users. Exactly. One of my favorite uh, articles I've seen are the guys who like make an 100, uh, 100 lighthouse score app that is like completely slow, <laughs> either really slow or completely inaccessible. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Sean would love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. We can probably link that in like the show notes or yeah, something. We'll do. Accessibility doesn't ensure usability. That's really the big thing of why cultivating empathy and actually like either need to work with disabled people, have them in leadership, uh, you need to go out and meet them. There's plenty of, like, YouTube people you can watch to get an idea for, like, what these people are doing and how they live. Well, I mean, you know, UX, so as part of, like, a UX job, right, part of it is to interview your your user base, right? And it's, Mm -hmm. like, then you need to make it your mission to make sure you find those users who have the disabilities as well to to create accessibility for them, right? And, and. And go out and interview them appropriately as you, as you've interviewed everybody else, right? I mean, like you can't leave it out. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's the same, and it has the same downfalls. Uh, but the the consequences are usually really severe. It's the same reason, like if you're making a dating app and you don't include women mm-hmm. in the product development, you might yeah. you might do some really sketchy stuff. Sure, <laughs> create some bad problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's exactly like that. You said how you'd also worked on things like compliance and the the legal aspect. So when you actually were at a company having to work on these types of issues, what were some of the things that came up and that you had to fix and work on? Well, there's like classes of things. The most basic thing you can do is just like hit tab a bunch of times and see if it makes sense. Like, can you tell where the focus is going? And that is not a perfect representation of what a screen reader is going to be like, but uh, it, it can definitely give you clues as to like what problems you're going to run into. That'd be the first thing I do. Like, does it make sense or does... Same thing Ben will tell you to do. So, yeah, yeah. You know how there's like mobile emulation? Mm-hmm. Is there like screen reading emulation so you can develop better for it? Yeah, you talk about JAWS and things like that. Uh, well, JAWS is a screen reader, right. like for oh, yeah, Windows. True. That's not a, that's not an emulator. So I guess, would you, is there a point to use an emulator versus just use an actual screen reader? Mm, right. Yeah. I would say no. It's good to visualize the accessibility tree. And for, 
for like automated testing, that's very useful. Should also explain the accessibility tree, at least what it is. The ex- I need to go super deep. <laughs> I'm not like super technically aware of this, but it's kind of like the DOM. But it's what the what a screen reader or or other assistive tech could see um, in terms of like what is accessible. So it breaks like down. Map. Yeah, it breaks down the headers. It breaks down the links. It breaks down right. the inputs, and then that's what the screen reader is going to read out to the user. Yeah. So like what is going to be in the DOM that's not in the accessibility tree is like random divs, like stuff like that isn't going to show up. Yeah, it takes all that div soup out for you. Yeah, mm. but paragraphs will be in there, headings, buttons, links, things like that. What are things that if someone knows absolutely nothing about accessibility, what are some tools that you would recommend they start learning and becoming proficient with? One thing is in Chrome DevTools, since 2020, I believe, you can have colorblindness simulation as well as low vision simulation. So that's really useful. It used to be you had to get a Chrome plugin for that. Now you can uh, pop up DevTools and it's right there. This is for color contrast because for some people, certain colors, it'll be really hard to actually read the text because it's against the background and it just all blurs together. Like red would be a terrible background. Yeah, but it also simulates every type of colorblindness. Oh, really? So that's really useful. Yeah, yeah. So you can test on the fly. You can like test out some designs and stuff like that. That's that's stuff that you probably already have. You don't have to download anything. That's really useful. Um, But then I would also say like if you're in product at all, like if you're a product person or a designer or developer, you probably need to learn how to use a screen reader. It doesn't really matter which one. Uh, Probably one on desktop and one on mobile uh, because you need you just need to understand how it works. There's no other way to cultivate empathy and like have a clue about what's going to be a good or a bad design unless you've actually experienced that. Is there a specific one you'd recommend? It depends on what you work on. So voiceover is the one on Mac. Uh, so if you're on a Mac, definitely just learn that. Then the Windows one is JAWS. I think that's the most used one. JAWS type percentage. Uh, JAWS costs money. Ah, so right, yeah. it's it's like half JAWS and half NVDA. NVDA is the other one. And then I believe on Android, it's called TalkBack. That's interesting. I've never thought about the fact that there would be a different screen reader for desktop versus mobile. What are some of the differences that come up between the two? On mobile, you don't have any buttons. So it, it's way different. Uh, I know in VoiceOver, there's this thing called the rotor. Kind of like in Vim, you have these different input modalities. You move the input rotor in like voiceover and it allows you to like go from navigating to like input for people with profound blindness i know there's input modes where i've people can like flip the rotor and they can flip their their like ipad or phone backwards and then use three fingers on each side to type out braille Oh, really? like they're punching out messages wow. yeah because it's like how it well if you think about it how would you how would you use a keyboard if you if you're completely blind oh, on a yeah. on a touch yeah. screen yeah there's videos of this on youtube um I'm trying to think I believe Molly Burke is the name of one person who uses it. There's a there's some people I can link to you. Uh, yeah, to, so you can, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really cool stuff though. So you can um, create a case that an iPad goes into that has Braille keyboard on the back. Uh, well, it's okay. actually the same layout as a Braille typewriter. Yeah, so it just knows where your fingers are to use three fingers on each side. But like, it's kind of like if you've seen a a, yeah, a Braille, I'm not sure if a, Scott or I've ever seen a Braille keyboard before. No. It's really interesting. It's kind of like those things that like court reporters use. But yeah, it's, okay. it's it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. make sure I was thinking of the right thing. But yeah, it's just it's only a few buttons, and you type out like the Braille cells. Okay. And so you uh, each time you press it down, it like does a cell. So three on each side, and you just uh, you the, you like press the combination. There, there's like contractions in Braille and all kinds of other things. It's pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, I find accessibility, it is such a actually like very deep technical topic 
And if you're someone who nerds out on that kind of stuff, you can go very deep into it. And I, I think it's it's a shame that a lot of people think of it as this like weird kind of niche specialty that they don't really ever even think about or dive into. Because it's like the times I've had accessibility conversations and have had to work on accessibility issues in apps that I've worked on, it's always been like, oh, that's actually a really interesting technical challenge. And then you get that boost of like, this is having real impact for real yeah, people also. Totally. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on in the accessibility realm? One of the apps that I was looking up when I was doing my talk that I was particularly impressed by was VS Code. It has so many cool accessibility features. Really? Speak on that. I don't know of any of them, actually. I think one of my favorite ones that I think regular devs could use was the sound cues. There's actually an entire API for sound cues that tell you when something happened in the editor. You know, sometimes you'll be typing and like you're in TypeScript or like your linter will like put a red squiggly somewhere else in the file. Yeah. But like if you're blind, how would you know that that happened? Yeah. So it'll be like, bloop. <laughs> like, oh, that's so cool. Or, or like, Ch-, like there'll be like different sounds depending on like what kind of event just happened or like if you hit a breakpoint or, or if the, if something in the terminal just finished. Yeah. And like, was it exit one? Was it exit zero? Like what just happened? So. It's first class. What are some other topics you want to talk about? I don't know. Open the floor. What's your favorite video game? Just be Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Uh, the new Zelda game. Oh, gotcha. Oh, Ooh, yeah. I love Zelda. I, I played crazy mad video games from age like 4 to 18, then became obsessed with music, and then became obsessed with coding, and so I haven't really gamed in like 10 years, but Ocarina of Time is my favorite game of all time. Really? Yeah. Link to the Past is my favorite Zelda game. Right on. My favorite game of all time is really tough. I think it would be Grim Fandango. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's just so it's just dripping in style. Yeah. I love like uh I love the old point and click stuff. Also like kind of a weird throwback Snatcher. It's like this Hideo Kojima game before he made Metal Gear Solid. Ooh. It's a visual novel. It's kinda like Blade Runner. Uh it's really cool. It came out in the eighties, but they remade it for Sega C D. And it's, it's like the best soundtrack. It's super cool murder mystery. What was the game thing. he put out that was like a survivalist game that came out a little while ago? Death Stranding? Yeah. You played that one? Yeah. It's cool. If you're into like art house movies, it's, mm-hmm. it's very much like yeah, that. Yeah, well, my, well, my best friends from college was like obsessed with Hideo Kojima. <laughs> yeah. It's like super weird. It's like, what if like A24 made a video game? Yeah, it's out Have there. Watch Beef. I haven't. Not yet. It's an A24 TV show. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really good. That's cool. What's your favorite video game, Scott? Uh, that's a hard question. I haven't played video games in quite some time, actually. Um, since I've had kids, pretty much. <laughs> I haven't had time. Well, then pre that, what was your favorite video game before you had kids and became lame? <laughs> I mean, kids are like pretty much a video game. You know, you gotta play with them all the time, so. <laughs> um, no. They I... go up one point every year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say, um... Uh... It's so hard, honestly. I, I can't put my finger on anything. What were some games you loved as a kid? Yeah. Okay, what what game I consoles liked, did you yeah, have? I know, I know, I know, I know. So we had like uh like PS two, PS one, Sega Genesis, um and then I had friends who had like N sixty four and regular Nintendo as well. Um and you know, so we played all those games, you know. We played Perfect Dark, we played Smash Brothers, you know, we played all kinds of different things. Um, That's what we need. We need to bring a console with us to one of these conferences. Dude, everybody <laughs> would be in our room playing. Yeah. <laughs> or just bring bring it into the conference. <laughs> but yeah, there, that, and then I, I really enjoyed, like, first-person uh, shooter stuff, like uh, Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Goldeneye for sure. But uh, Call of Duty, like on newer consoles, right? Uh, like PS3. You, I always think when you're talking Goldeneye, Xbox 360. Uh, the real question is, would you play as Jaws or Odd Job? Because <laughs> every character in that game is exactly the same height, except <laughs> Odd Job, who's a little short. Yeah. So it's really hard to hit. And then Jaws, who's really tall, tall. so it's yeah. super easy to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that hat being deadly? Yeah, you could throw his hat too. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think overall, like when I was in high school and stuff, I really enjoyed playing Call of Duty and like Halo and stuff like that. COD. COD, yeah, sure. Yeah, that COD. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, a computer game I really loved actually was, because uh, you, when you said COD, it made me think of it, Command and Conquer. What's Command and Conquer? Command and Conquer is like this war type game where you uh you create soldiers you create um your your battles ground station like uh vehicles all kinds of stuff you could start making like you you and you mine things like you mine for gold or ore or whatever the heck it is you know in, in that game um and then you have the funds to be able to make these things um and then there's a, a you know an enemy that you're they're you're either gonna go encroach on them or they're gonna encroach on you and you gotta take each other out and um it's actually it was a really fun game and there's several versions of it that came out but it was a pc only thing so yeah it's cool sweet so i'd be curious do you have um other conferences you're planning on attending this year or have lined up i'm excited to go back to next conf i want to go to magnolia one year it's been really fun like me where's magnolia at? i've heard of that one I wanted to go last year. I didn't go the year before. That was really good too. It's only a few years old though, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it started like when Render started. Yeah. I think it's in Mississippi. Georgia. No, Mississippi. Yeah, I knew it was south. Oh, cool. Yep. Sweet. We should go to that. We're pretty close. Yeah, it'd be fun. When is it? Um, October. Okay. Well, hopefully it doesn't land on open. Oh, all things open. All things open. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely be at all things open. Because that's right next to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Across the street from my condo. Right. I want to go to that. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, you should talk about that one since that's your um your stomping grounds. Yeah. What's cool about that conference? Uh, all things open is massive. So, like every discipline of tech is there. Like distributed system stuff. Uh, Not just us JavaScript no. kids. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It's just like every kind of tech person you could think of is there. It's pretty cool. Because I was like Raleigh. Good place to be for tech. Yeah, it's a huge tech scene. People don't realize RTP is the biggest research park in America. So, uh, What's RTP Research Triangle Park. It's kind of like Silicon Valley, just tons and tons of office space. Yeah, I have a I have a cousin in in Raleigh, and I've I'd heard this a couple of years ago that it's actually like one of the more legit tech hubs in the country, and that's always stuck in my head as a place I need to check out. Yeah, because there's there's just tons of companies there. And then really good colleges. So they've like NC State, Duke, and UNC all next to each other. So it's just like a big pipeline there too. And then like Epic Games is there. So there's like a video game oh, kind of hub. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah Apple just uh, built a building there. So they're about to start hiring like crazy. Or already have. But I think for like AI stuff, they're about to start ramping up from what I heard. Yeah, they're way behind. <laughs> have you messed around with AI much? No, I've done like some of the Vercel kind of starter projects and tutorials like calling open ai apis mm-hmm. and stuff but um do you, oh. like do you use chat gpt at all yeah i use it all the time so that's i'll consider that yeah. using ai then <laughs> like yeah. to me just I use it every day so here's a here's a stat for you guys i read this the other day um 58 of people have heard of chat gpt yep 14 of people have used chat gpt that's it that's it yeah, and it's always it's all the tech people. <laughs> it's a lot of tech people, just people who are interested in you know new things, you know. So even yeah. using ChatGPT itself at all, 
puts you way ahead of the curve. And paying so, for it, you're like top one percent. So what do you what do you use it for? Chat GPT. Uh, I'll get it to like spot check things. Sometimes I'll write a letter or I'll like write some messages for work, and I'm like. How can I say this? this could be better, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, either in a more friendly way or yeah, like, we're just totally so, like, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall. A lot of times I don't listen to what it says, but I'll ask it for criticism <laughs> on things. Um, a lot of times I'll ask it to, I ask it to summarize things a lot. Like I'll give it just like a whole article. I'll copy paste like an entire article and just say, write me a one paragraph summary. It's, <laughs> it's really good at this. Like, do I use it for the newsletter yes. actually? No, I know. I yeah. just, I'm finding it funny because... I was just thinking how I probably send you like a very lengthy email and then you take it and you just sub- you say summarize this for me so I don't have to read all Scott's email. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the joke is that everyone will people will write a bullet point list have ChatGPT turn it into an email and, and then somebody take takes the email, it and put it back into a bullet. bullet. Point. <laughs> that's incredible. So silly. That's funny. Then uh, I've also been using like Tab Nine and then Copilot pretty much since they came out. Yeah, Tab Nine being another AI code completion tool. Correct. And then uh, I'm also on the beta for the copilot chat that's interesting that, i haven't used that one yet i've watched roselle use it though a little bit she's a developer advocate at github and does a lot of copilot stuff that's where you have a chat embedded in your code basically mm-hmm. so i'm copy pasting code and then throwing it into chat gpt all the time so it seems kind of silly that i'm not using <laughs> copilot chat it's yeah. pretty great for like the use case i see all the time is like i'm writing some react code or something like that there's a component and I'm like, hey, just go like write me the basic integration test suite for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tests are pretty great. Yeah, and it's really good at it. Yeah, I love it for that. An interesting use case I found, this is probably not relevant to you, more relevant to like DevRels, is I'll write something if I want to create a bunch of example apps. You know, a lot of times DevRels will need to create like a React example and a Vue example and a Svelte example. So I'll write the React example and then I'll just give it that and I'll say, write this in Vue. And it'll take the exact code and then write it in view and it just works like out of the box copy paste is incredible super dope <laughs> that sounds amazing yeah i love 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 chat gpt that's why i call him uh, homie he, gpt yeah homie gpt yeah. it is the homie awesome man well um won't you let our listeners know where they could find you on the internets and where they can get in touch with you if you're someone who wants to be got in, in touch, touch with, with yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ryan underscore Magoon on Twitter. Awesome. That'd be the main one. Cool, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is a really interesting conversation. Got a lot of great topics in here. Yeah. And yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Appreciate it. All right, y'all. See you in the next one. Peace.